This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Now we're good. All righty. Okay, thank you all for joining. Thank you all for coming. Um, oh my. Naomi, are you still in Israel? Okay, if you are, amazing. If you're not, welcome back to Tumaland. Um, uh, well, it's in the wee hours of the morning. Um, okay, so thank you all for joining. Thank you all for coming in with us on this very special night um, to learn about something that I feel is of utmost importance. And we're going to go through, uh, I'll tell you like this even even furthermore. So uh, we've been going through the topic of Akar Satov. Really, the topic of Akar Satov in my plan, my original plan, which we all know, you know, we plan a Kaddish Baruch Hu so you know, like we, we could only plan so much. My original plan was to make it one class in this Imuna series, and it's turning out, I think this is five or six in this, um, uh, and it's it's actually, every time that I'm preparing about it, there's another point that I want to bring out, so that turns into a whole uh, share in itself. So, uh, this particular, it, so we have the Imuna series, then we have the Hakar Satov series in the Imuna series, now we have the un- ungratefulness or ingratitude in the Hakar Satov. So it's, a, it's going to be a mini-series in a mini-series in a series. So that's where we're holding uh, right now. So we're going to speak a few, few classes. I, I don't know, maybe one or for sure two. So maybe one more, maybe possibly three. I don't know. We'll see about, um, about ungratefulness. I think this is such an important topic and it's, uh, um, it, the, the severity of it is not really understood or, or realized, I think, in, in most people. So, okay. So before we get started, let us first, uh, do with tonight. We're learning a little Fuashlamam, Saltavot to Cassandra Batpulo, as well as for a Shiduk for Shifra Bas Esther Shandel, as well as Le'ilu Nishmat, Avram ben Chaim Yehuda and Yechezkel ben Abraham and Zechari Shem ben Rabbi Yitzchak. Uh, okay, now let's get started. So, the idea of ungratefulness, and uh, the more that we speak about this, the more that we will realize, the more that when you're listening, you'll realize that many of us have this issue. Many of us have, at least in some aspect, some sort of of, uh, of, of lack of akar satov, a kafu yitav, ungratefulness that we could really tighten up and, and fix. So I don't want to focus on people that, let's say, when you speak about topic of ungratefulness, people that, let's say, don't say thank you. Because people for not saying thank you, that could be they could just forgot or they procrastinate or many other reasons. What I really want to focus on is the the reasoning, the source behind or the fundamentals of being ungrateful inside, meaning that you don't even feel the need to say thank you. So I was thinking about it and I came to uh, three reasons which again, this is not all encompassing, but this is, a, I, in my opinion, again, I may be wrong. Maybe somebody will send me, send me another reason. And I'll say, oh yeah, that, you know, maybe it's a top four. But I think there's a top three reasons of why people are ungrateful. Number one, they don't realize the good. They don't realize that they have to be grateful for something, meaning that a lot of times we don't realize the effort that the other person puts in to, for us. Easy an example, being that I'm speaking to, to a woman, uh, is, when you host someone for Shabbos, when you host them for Shabbos, if a, if this person never hosted themselves, they don't fully realize what it goes into hosting for Shabbos. They don't realize that there has to be uh, 
the preparation and the cleaning and the you know the shopping for the food and everything you know like people that host only only sometimes and not every week it's something that's it's it's very stressful there's a lot of work to go into it somebody that just comes in never hosted you know a, a meal or a family's they don't realize what goes into it so they don't even even realize the aspect of, of what they really have to thank for but once you realize and you what you have to thank for then it suddenly opens your mind so reason number one of why people are ungrateful is simply they just they don't realize the good that is coming their way and the real reason that they have to be grateful for. Number two is entitlement. People feel that uh, they uh, deserve it. Like, why should I say thank you? Like, you owe this to me. Like, this is, and we can give an example, whether with it's a husband or a wife or a child to a parent or a partner or a friend. Like, we tend to forget that, let's say you, you have an issue and your friend is on your phone with you for three hours dealing with your issue don't be like well this is your job you're my friend no it's that that that's not the person's job that person is doing a favor for you and you have to go and say thank you it's not your spouse's job to do x y and z if they're doing it it's something you have to say thank you it's not your parents job to go and buy you a lexus if they did that you have to go and you have to say thank you so the idea of entitlement is that you feel like this is their job. And, and the most simplest example that I could give you is very simple. Somebody does work for you. Let's say, uh, let's say somebody does work in your home. Or let's say even you go and, uh, um, you go to the doctor and the doc, the doctor is getting paid. This is the doctor's job. But as you leave, you say thank you. Why? It's a doc- this is the, this is the doctor's job. Granted, it's his job, but it's also your obligation to go and say, it's not, you're not entitled to this, whatever it is that you think that you're entitled to. This is something that the doctor's doing, even though it's, he's getting paid for it, even though that it's required, even though everything, you still have to say thank you. And I'm not just saying like, thank you, like as in, you know, something that comes second nature that you, which is good for some people. It really is good where you, you know, you have some people where they just, anything you do, they say thank you, which is great. But there is a level of thinking where it goes one step further, where you're actually thinking for a second, be like, no, you know, I really appreciate what you did. Thank you so much. You know, that little extra thought process actually changes in the way that you say thank you. So the entitlement is even if you feel the person, you know, got paid for it or the person needed to do it for you or the person or you deserved it. These are all reasons why people tend to forget to be grateful, tend to feel the need to be grateful and hence comes to the, to the conclusion of being, you know, ungrateful or, or, an ingrate, as we say. So that's that's reason number two. Final, the reason number three, and I think this is the most powerful reason, and, and I maybe soon we'll speak about some personal cases. I don't know if I'll speak about personal cases, about uh, what I've seen in this, and that is that reason number three is that we don't want to owe someone something. So what happens is that people, if someone does a favor for somebody else, People tend to not appreciate it or not say that thank you because then, then I owe you and, and I don't like owing you. So what happens is that they become ungrateful and we'll soon see some, some examples. People come ungrateful because of the fact that if I'm grateful, it means I owe you and, and I don't want to owe you. And I, you know, maybe it's pride, maybe it's arrogant. Maybe there's a, there's a bunch of reasons that are underlining it, but I think that's a core that, I mean, each of these are a core, but that's a core that's on a different level where you go out of your way and you go to the negative of like, not only, we'll soon see, not only do I not owe you, you go against the person. And we'll soon see. So what I want to do in the first 
that's just like three reasons what I came across, what I was thinking about this topic of why people aren't grateful. Anybody is welcome to go and email me or send me or call me about any other additional reasons uh, that you may feel. But I think these are the top uh, three in my opinion. I want to go through some Torah sources of uh, of kafutoiv of of ungratefulness, and I think this show will show the importance of what it means to be ungrateful, and then hopefully Bizat Hashem in the coming classes will be able to go and figure out how to get out of these and how to become a more of a grateful person. So. The earliest Torah source, meaning that if you go to the beginning, beginning of the Torah, you go to Adam Arishan, the first sin that happened, we know is that Adam ate from the tree that he wasn't supposed to eat. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu goes over to him and he says, you know, Adam, what's up? You know, like, what did you do? And Adam responds to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and you want to look at it inside, it's in Barashas, chapter 3, verse 12. It says, Vayemira Adam, and Adam goes over to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to God, and it says, Ha'isha imadi hinasali. The woman that you gave me, she gave me the, you know, the fruit to eat. Meaning that HaKadosh Baruch Hu went and told Adam, you can do everything. Just don't do one thing. Don't eat from that tree. And Adam went and ate from the tree. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu goes over to Adam and be like, what are you doing? You know, I told you not to eat from the tree and this is what you're eating from. So Adam responds and says, well, immediately pushes the blame on somebody else. So the woman, the woman that you gave me, you know, she is the one that gave it to me. Meaning, over here, HaKadosh Baruch Hu created Chava, created the woman so that, that Adam would have a companionship. Adam originally was created, we're not going to go into all, maybe we'll speak about it in the future classes, but we're not going to go into all the details of it, but Adam was created pretty much alone. All the other animals were created with, uh, with a mate. Adam wanted a mate. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him a mate. Now HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him this present, a wife as a present, and now Adam goes to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the reason why I messed up, the reason why I made a mistake, is because the woman that you gave me. Says Rashi in that same Pasuk. It says, Kan Kafar B'Taifa. Here, Adam Harishan was a Kafri Toif. The first Avera. If you look into the first sin in the Torah, the big one, the big one that got us kicked out of Gan Eden, that is a cup being ungratefulness. That is to, to just begin to understand the severity of this issue. This is the main issue. This is the big issue that Adam got kicked out from Gan Eden. Perkei de Rabbi goes and says that, and listen to these words. Oh, these are scary words. There is nothing worse before HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's nothing worse before God than to be a kafoy type, than to be, to be ungrateful. And furthermore, he goes and says, Adam was banished from Gan Eden only because he was a kafoy type, because he was ungrateful. And Rabbi Chaim Kenevsky also goes and says that there's nothing worse than to, to God than someone who's an ingrate. Why? What happens is that if someone's an ingrate, if someone's a kafoy toif, today to his, let's say to his friend, what happens is, is tomorrow this person is going to be a kafoy toif, is going to be an ingrate to God. Meaning that if let's say you today you're ungrateful to your friend, it's only a matter of time that you're going to be ungrateful to God. There's a certain, you know, I, you know, the, the process of a personality trait is that if you practice a certain personality trait, it doesn't go based on just one scenario. Like people think, let's say people have a bad relationship with their parents. Or um, let's say people have a bad relationship with their parents. So what happens is, is that they think, okay, fine. So they are dealing with a certain relationship in 
with their with their parents, and they think that okay, fine, if it's bad and they're reacting in a more negative way, it's just in my parents. When you build yourself a certain character trait, and when you're negative in a certain area of your life, that's going to become part of you, and that when it becomes part of you is going to go and transition into something uh, into a different factor in your life, whether it's in your spouse, whether it's in any area of your relationship. I don't know if you guys are seeing this, but it's saying that. Sapir, do you see this? Yeah, I just saw it also. Should we, when it ends, should we just re-sign on? Because I don't know exactly what to do. Yeah, let's re-sign on. I, okay, so we're, forever is not realizing we're having an issue. It looks like with the Zoom. I think I'm going to open up my own uh, Zoom account. We can you know, maybe next week we're going to change it. Um, Right. So we had we had we had a we had an account, but it seems like maybe uh, what happens is is that maybe it wasn't paid, um, and I don't know if I could pay it right now. But I think. Uh, yeah. Okay. What? Okay. So let's do it like this. Um, it's going to shut off in nine minutes. I don't know. I'm trying to uh, do something over here. Um, it's going to sh- sh- sign off very, very soon. Uh, so if everybody could just uh, sign back on again, I'll try to pause the, I'll try to pause the, what's it called? Um, the recording and then we'll start again and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll take over there. I apologize for the, um, for the inconvenience. Uh, this is how I, maybe this is a good thing because this week we could see how many people are interested, <laughs> interested in it. If we have a certain amount of people now, we have to see how many people actually sign back on. <laughs> okay. So it should be the same link. I'm pretty sure. Right. I think so. Let's try it. We'll see. We'll take it in comment. Bizarre Hashem, hopefully next, uh, next class we'll have it, uh, figured out. I didn't realize this is going to be an issue. Okay. So, um, Going back to what we're speaking about, where you have somebody that is has a certain personality trait, and they're dealing with this issue in one area of their life, whether it's with their parents, whether it's with the spouse, whether it's with their children, that's going to seep into you, and it's going to transfer, and it's going to transition into other areas of it in your life. So if you're having a troubled relationship in one area of your life, it's not going to be just that one area. It's going to go seep into you, and it's going to focus on, on, on other areas. It's going to only affect you. Granted, not always we can you know, fix it, and sometimes we could, sometimes we can't, but there are ways to handle it. We're not going to go through all the details of that. But what happens is, is that if you become ungrateful, says Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky, to your friend, to your parents, to somebody else, there's only a matter of time that's going to seep inside of you. And once it seeps inside of you, then eventually you're going to come to a time where you're going to come ungrateful to Akadosh Baruch Hu to God. We see also this with Ammon and uh, Moab. Ammon and Moab, what happened was is that Hashem goes... And, um, I'm sorry, Avraham Avinu goes and saves Lot. Uh, Lot, Amun Amoyev, their ancestor was Lot. The Jewish nation, their ancestors were, uh, was, was Avram, uh, Avram Avinu. Now, what happened was, is that the Jewish nation needed some assistance from the nations of Amun and Moab. We're not going to go through all the details, but they needed some assistance. So, instead of assisting the Jewish nation, Amon and Moab did not, not only did they not assist them, they also went against the Jewish nation. Now what happened from that, the Pasuk in Devarim, chapter 23, verse 4, goes and says, The, for the, forever, a person that comes from the descendant of Amon and Moab is never allowed to convert to Judaism. 
Why? Because of the ungratefulness that they had. This is their only reason that Ammon and Moab were able to survive was only because of the Jewish people, ancestor Avram. Avram saved Lot. There was the ancestor of the Jewish people. And the ancestor of Ammon and Moab, the ancestor of the Jewish people saved the ancestor of Ammon and Moab, meaning that if not for the Jewish people, Ammon and Moab would not exist. So it is a simple, la- a simple gratitude. Of course, you should help them. While they were asking for some some water and bread, they were asking for some water. Of course, they should have helped them. But the fact that they didn't help them, the the, the idea of un- being ungrateful, now forever they're not allowed to go and uh, and join the the Jewish nation. Of course, this is only nowadays. We don't know who is from Ammon and who is from Moab. This is a, this mitzvah, particularly what the Torah is speaking about, only applied before. Sancherev. Sancherev went and he mixed up all the nations. So we don't know. Meaning that if somebody comes now and he wants to convert to the Jewish nation, we don't know if they're from Amin Moab. We, we accept everybody. If they're willing to convert and they go through the process the way they need to, everybody, everybody's accepted. They're not going to say, okay, maybe you're from Amin, maybe you're from Moab. But if we would know, Amin Moab would never be allowed to go and enter the Jewish nation. Now, if you think about that for a second, there are nations that went and destroyed Judaism, destroyed, murdered Jewish children, women, children, like synagogues, they, they completely annihilated everything that they could about Judaism. Their descendants, they could join. They're able to go and convert to Judaism. But Ammon and Moab, because they were ungrateful, they're not allowed to join. Forever. If you think about that for a second, I mean, we could really dwell on this for a really long time. We're not going to. But if you think about that, you think about the contrast over here, which shows you the severity, which shows you of how difficult and how severe it is if somebody is ungrateful. That's the reason that Ammon and Moab are not allowed to go and join the Jewish nation. Ammon and Moab can't join because of their ungratefulness. The other nations, yes, they destroyed them, but at least they have a sense of gratitude, or at least somewhat, to, to, you know, to some extent they didn't have a lack of, of, of gratitude, meaning they weren't ungrateful. And it, it, it's something that's mind-boggling when you think about that, when you just ponder that thought for a moment, that really dis- like changes your entire, your entire mindset on it. The... Pasuk and Shemais, chapter 1, verse 8. I want to go through a little bit about the story of Mitzrayim. Look about the, uh, you know, uh, about the difference of Paro and Moshe Rabbeinu. So, you look at the, the um, in Shemais, it says, al There was a king. Translation is, there was a king. There was a new king who came on Mitzrayim and he didn't know Yosef. Now, the question that we have to ask is that this is, at this point in time in history of the Jewish nation, the Jewish people were in Egypt. There was the Jewish, you know, the baby, people were being murdered. People were in slavery. People were being destroyed. Like, to start, the fact that this new king came into play and he didn't know Yosef, that's such a minor aspect of it. Like, who cares? Like what we are, we're dealing with murder. We're dealing with slavery. We're dealing with the most severe issues in you know human existence. What is the difference? Why does the Torah have to tell us that there was a new king who didn't know Yosef? So in order to understand this, we have to look into the Chazal. Chazal go, Chacham go, and tell us that there's two reasons what this means that the king did not know Yosef. Reason number one 
is that it's literally this? It's a new king, a new king that came onto Egypt. No, Yosef was already, you know, you know, passed away. There was a new king that came to Egypt, and this king never met Yosef, didn't know Yosef. That's opinion, op, you know, option number one. Opinion number two is that this king he really knew Yosef, but I'm using air quotes. He acted as if he never met Yosef. Now, these are the two opinions. Now, even if we go according to the first opinion, where he never met Yosef, he never met Yosef, it's, it's very difficult to understand. Why? Because you look at Yosef. Yosef was somebody that went and he changed the entire history of Egyptian society, the Egyptian financial sector, the Egyptian power as a, as a, as a world power. Yosef went and took the Egyptian economy, which was at a, at, at a, at a certain point, and he put it on the map to be the world power. He took something that was on a mediocre to a low level, and he put it to the top of the pyramid. Yosef, before Yosef came, there was, there was hunger, there was issues going around, that Yosef went and he turned the Egyptian nation to the most wealthiest nation that ruled the entire world. He single-handedly turned Egypt into the most wealthy, powerful kingdom that existed at that time. And that kingdom is what this new paro inherited. And now if you think it's a long time, it's barely a generation has passed before since the death of Yosef. So when you think about it, he for sure had to hear about it. This is somebody that revolutionized the Egyptian history. He He put Egypt on the map, so to speak. So what does it mean that... Paro didn't know of Yosef. Are you kidding me? Paro, who didn't know of Yosef? Yosef was the one that took the entire, with his infrastructure, he ruled Egypt for, you're talking about around 80 years. Look at Paro. Paro had, Paro had inherited this kingdom. He inherited this, this kingdom that is most powerful and you know that it was not too long ago in history how this kingdom came into being. Meaning that Paro had to know about Yosef. There was no way out of it. The whole thing, you know, when you have somebody that changes history, you know about it. Like, his face is on money usually, you know? Like, like people that change history, you don't be like, oh, like, Yosef, I never heard of him. Who's Yosef? Like, it, it doesn't work that way when somebody does so much. So when you look at this passage, you, you start to think about what does that mean? How is it possible that you have somebody, you have a king that didn't know Yosef? It didn't. He, Yosef changed. The, he, he ruled for so long. 80 years, he changed the entire economy. He made every Egyptian super duper wealthy, especially the government, especially the king, especially Pharaoh. You're not going to know Yosef? Isn't that a great question? If you, if you think about it for a second, we never really thought about it. Like, yeah, okay, granted, maybe like, you know, come to buy, but like, I never knew Yosef. It wasn't that long ago. It was within one generation. One generation. Are you kidding me? Of course he knew Yosef. Let's take this a step further. The Pasuk in Shemais, chapter 5, verse 1 and verse 2. Paro goes, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu goes over to Paro. And he says, and he goes and he says that God wants, Hashem, God wants the Jewish people to leave. 
So, and the Apostle goes and says, So said God, the God of the Jewish people, send my nation out. You know what Paro responds? The next Apostle, Paro responds, and Paro goes over to Moshe Rabbeinu and he goes and says, Mi Hashem? Who? God? Hashem? Who is this God? Hashem? Hashem? I never heard about this God. That's what Paro goes and says, I don't know. Paro had a whole book of all gods. and says, look, we flipped through all the books. We never heard about this God. What? How does that make sense? Listen to this. If you haven't thought about this until now, it's going to blow your mind. Yosef, we know, always spoke about God. Whether it was with his dreams, he was talking about God. Whether it was he was in Potiphar's house, he was talking about God. Whether he was in prison, he was talking about God. When he came to work for Paro, he was talking about God. For 80 years minimum, the Egyptian people heard about God to the point even that he was they, they got a bris milah to, to that point. What is it? He didn't hear about God? How, how did this Paro not hear about Yosef and not hear about God? That's all that was happening in the past 80 years. Like everybody, imagine you have somebody that goes, you know, powerful, successful businessmen. You go to the most wealthiest people, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, uh, you know, Elon Musk. You go to these people and imagine, like, just imagine one of these people would go and would always, you know, any interview be like, oh, so how did you think you made it successful? And be like, oh, because God made me successful. And they go and they start spilling out God in every sentence. They would say like, uh, really? There's no way that I would be successful. I'm only successful because of Kaddish Baruch I'm only successful because of God. That's why I'm successful. Now imagine if, they, if these successful people start saying that. Are you going to forget about that? Like, no. Everybody would know that, you know, he's talking about a particular God. Now, if this, you know, particular wealthy person was Christian, was Muslim, was Hindu, they would know which God they're referring to. You had over here Yosef. Yosef Atadik, he was the ruler of Egypt. He changed Egyptian economy. There was interviews over there on Egyptian television or whatever was going on at that time. There was stuff that was going on in the Egyptian radio and people were talking to you. Yosef was always mentioning God. Everybody knew about God and you look at it and you see even people had brismila. People even actualized that aspect. So what does that mean? That Paro goes says, Mi Hashem, who is this God? It's not in, not in any of the books. Ever think about it? It's crazy. It's like something that's like so out there. And when you stop for a second, and when you think about it, be like, why didn't I have this question earlier? It's unbelievable. And this we could answer with this information. We could begin to answer the question that we started off with in this story. And the question we started off with is that the Torah starts off and saying, And a new king rose. Yosef. He didn't know Yosef. And we ask, why is that so important? This is a murderer. This is someone that's committing genocide. This is someone that's committing mass slavery. Why do we care that he didn't remember or didn't know Yosef? And the reason why that it's so important that we realize and we know that he didn't know Yosef it's because this is not a minor misdemeanor, meaning that Paro's evil was rooted in his ingratitude. He was ungrateful. This Yosef, the Jewish nation, because of the Jewish nation, that saved the Egyptian economy, that saved the Egypt, that put Egypt on the most powerful platform, ruling of the world. That put Egypt on the top level, the top tier. It was a top tier country. And the fact that this Paro 
had one major, well many, but one of many major issues was the fact that he was ungrateful. And that's why the Torah says, He didn't know Yosef. You want to know why it's so important? Because it tells you about who this person was. And what this person accomplished. Look at what being ungrateful can accomplish. Uh, Or destroy on the other aspect. This is how important it is and how severe it is to, to, to someone to be ungrateful, to have ingratitude. Moshe Rabbeinu, look at the, at the flip side. Moshe Rabbeinu, we know that you look at Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu, his personality, his, uh, um, you know, he used his Egyptian name. And you could tell a lot about a per- person by, by a few facts. Why did he use his Egyptian? He had, he had quite a few Hebrew names that was given to him by his mother. He used specifically an Egyptian name that was given to him by the prince, princess of Egypt, Batya, the daughter of Paro, because of the gratitude that Moshe Rabbeinu had to, to the person that saved him. She saved him. She saved him from the, from the Nile River. She saved him. He says, what am I? I'm not going to use my name. He has a name from his biological mother. But he said, but this woman saved me when I was doomed for death. How do I not go and use? And Moshe Rabbeinu to this day is known by the name that was given to him by the Egyptian princess. To show you how much Hakar Satov, how much gratitude he had. And furthermore, God goes over to Moshe Rabbeinu. And he says, I want you to go and save the Jewish people. I want you to go, and he was at this time, it was in Midian, he was with Yisrael. He says, leave Yisrael's house and go to, the, to Egypt and take out the Jewish nation, save them from whatever they're going through. And you know what Moshe Rabbeinu said? God comes over to you, you're going to start going and asking. Moshe Rabbeinu went, and went to Yisrael and the Mepharshim goes this and he asked permission. He says, I need to leave. He says, God just came over to you. What is he running to Yisrael asking for permission? You got a direct order from God. And the answer is that Moshe Rabbeinu had tremendous amount of gratitude that Yisrael took him in. When he was a wanderer, yes, he put him in prison, but he took care of him. Yisrael took care of him. He says, I got to go and I got to ask him for permission. And this is something we spoke about in this following idea. We spoke about it in the relationship class in Akar Zatot. Moshe Rabbeinu, his, his brothers and sister, went and told him, he says, why are you still with your wife? You could go and you could upgrade. We're not going to go to all the details because that sounds really bad the way that I'm saying it. So go look at that. Look at the Moshe of Zikainim if you want to look at the source of it. He says, why are you going and you're saying you could go and you could upgrade. Now you're ruler of the nation. When you married your wife, you are no one. You are a slave. You are working for Yisrael. He says, now you're ruling of the most powerful Jewish nation. We got the Torah. We, we're the most powerful. We got God on our side. And you know what Moshe Rabbeinu answered? He says, what are you talking about? How do I go? That's great. She was stuck by me. My wife stuck by me. When in my low part, she's going to stick by me by my high parts. He says, how do I not have a karsatov? Look at the contrast and the difference between... Paro, the leader of the ruler of the Egyptian nation, and Moshe Rabbeinu, the ruler of the Jewish nation. One went and bent backwards and forwards just to have a karasatov. And the other one bent backwards and forwards just to not have a karasatov, to have ungratefulness in it. We look at other villains in the Jewish history. Look at Haman. Haman, we know, I really wanted to go more in detail. This Maybe we'll have to go into a different time. We don't have the time for it. It's going to be a little bit late. I want to get a lot more information, you know, through. But Haman was a, a tremendous kafoitav, an ungrateful person. Haman and Mordechai, in the Purim story, they were both generals before the Purim story happened. They were both generals in Achashverosh's army. Haman went and got a certain amount of provisions, a certain amount of supplies, and they were sent for three years. Mordechai went, got a certain amount of supplies, and he was sent for three years. And they were supposed to, whatever, we're not going to go through all the details. So it's around a certain, uh, you know, country. Anyways, long story short, Haman wastes up 
all his supplies within a year. He goes over, he was a general, he goes over to Mordechai, the other general, says, you got to help me out. He says, I got nothing left, and my soldiers are going to die. Mordechai is like, I'm not giving you my stuff, because then my soldiers are going to be lacking. You know, I can't start rationing out, losing half my, my, my equipment that I left over here. So they came to, to an agreement that Mordechai will provide provisions, will provide supplies for Haman's people, for Haman's army, but on the condition is that now Haman is a slave to Mordechai for one day a week. Whatever, we're not going to go, there was a contract that was written. Mordechai, in short, long story short, Mordechai saved Haman's life and situation. Fast forward a few years, and now Haman is, has everybody bound down to him, except for Mordechai. And he's getting so upset, and he's getting so angry, and you ask, why? Why are you so angry? Mordechai saved your life. You should be grateful to him. Why are you so angry? If there's one person that shouldn't bow down to you besides the king, it should be Mordechai. He literally saved your life. To make matters even more significant is that Haman's ancestor was Agag. Mordechai's ancestor was Shal. We know uh, it says uh, Haman ben Amadasa Hagagi. Haman comes from Agag. Mordechai is we know the Megillah goes and, and says issue the ayah b'shana b'yayushmai Mordechai ben Yair ben ben Shimi ben Kish Ishimini Ishimini from the Shevet of Benjamin Yamini from Benjamin who's from Benjamin Shal Shalomel Mordechai's ancestor Shal Haman's ancestor Agad Shal was going to destroy the entire you know the, the the entire nation Haman's all ancestor but for reasons which we're not going to get into Agag was saved because of Shal meaning that. Mordechai's ancestor is the reason why Haman is still alive at this point in time. Meaning if not for Mordechai's ancestor, Haman would never come to existence. So what we see over here is that Haman has a reason to be grateful to Mordechai, number one, because he saved him life in this lifetime. And furthermore, he saved his ancestor. He would have even been born over here if not for, for Mordechai's ancestor. So Mordechai, for anything, Haman should have been so grateful to Mordechai. But of course he wasn't. Haman was a kafli tov. He was ungrateful to Mordechai. And, you know, his end was, you know, as everybody all knows. We see over here, case after case, the most severe cases, also, is all based of one fundamental idea, and that's on being a kafli tov, being ungrateful. Let me take you on a journey with Dustin and Aviram. Dustin and Aviram, listen to this. Listen to this a little bit of a story about the, who these people were. So Dustin and Abiram are famous uh, or infamous uh, through the Torah. But you look at them, where they originally started in, you know, in the Torah is, is that Dustin and Abiram were, were in Egypt. And they were, their position in Egypt was they were the overseers of the Jewish people. Meaning that the way that it worked was is that you had the Egyptians on the top. And then the Egyptians, and even unfortunately the Holocaust was also somewhat uh, like this. Uh, you had the Egyptian on the top. And then you had like managers on the lower level, and these managers oversaw the workers. In this particular scenario, so you had the Egyptian, you had the Jewish managers, and then you had the slaves under them. Now, meaning every Jew was a slave, but these were like the lower level of slaves. So Dawson and Aviram were the overseers, were the managers, so to speak. And they would report each, uh, you know, each day's work to the Egyptian task managers with the superiors above them. Now, this is what their position was. When Moshe Rabbeinu went and he left Paro's palace to go and to venture outside, he wanted to see, you know, he was, he knew he was part of, you know, uh, from the Jewish nation. He wanted to go and see what his brothers were up to. 
And he goes and he sees that he saw the famous story where he sees an Egyptian man striking a Hebrew man, striking a Jewish man. And Moshe Rabbeinu goes and looks left to right, the Pasuk goes and says, and he uses God's name to go and kill this Egyptian man to save this, Egy- this Jewish man. Who was this Hebrew man? Who was this Jewish man? The Mepharshim goes and the Chazal tell us that this was none other than Dasan. This was Dasan that he saved. He was looking left, he was looking right. He, the Egyptian person was going to hit Dasan and he saved him. Now what happened? Why was this Egyptian person hitting the Jewish uh, you know, slave or the Jewish uh, overseer? And the reason for that is, is that Dasan, his, uh, what happened was is that this Egyptian man, when Dasan would leave in the night or in the morning, early morning for work, this Egyptian man would go and sneak into his house while it was still dark, and he would pretend to be Dasan. He would pretend to be, you know, the you know the husband or the father of of the house, and he acted on those uh, specific duties as a husband would would uh, you know would be entitled, will you know be involved in. And when Dasan found out that this Egyptian man was impersonating him, going into his own house, speaking to his, you know, like being with his wife, like he was, when he was there, he got so upset. Now this Egyptian man found, realized that he got caught. So now he was going to hit Dasan. He was going to hit him. He said, this guy's going to rat me out. So there was going to be some sort of big spat. This is what Moshe Rabbeinu walked in on. Moshe Rabbeinu went and he realized that, that if he doesn't go and save Dasan, Dasan's going to get killed by this Egyptian. So what happened was, is that Moshe Rabbeinu goes and he kills this Egyptian. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu at this point in time, he saved Dasan's life. The next day, Moshe went out again. And what? He saw two people arguing. Who are those two people arguing? We look at the Medrash. The Medrash goes and says, this is Dasan and Aviram, two brothers. What were they arguing about? They were arguing that Dasan wanted to end his marriage. He was telling his brother, he says, Aviram, he says, I want to end my marriage. He said, what I found out, what happened was with my wife and this Egyptian and my family and this Egyptian, I need to end my marriage. And Aviram was saying, no, you shouldn't end your marriage. And this is what they were arguing about. And at this point in time, you know, Dasan wanted to go and, um, you know, basically hit, he raised his hand to hit his brother. And at this point is what Moshe Rabbeinu walked into the scene where Dustin is lifting up his hand to go and to fight with his brother. So he goes over, Moshe Rabbeinu goes over to Dustin and says, why do you want to hit your fellow? He says, why would you do it? What would a regular person do at this point in time? This person, Moshe Rabbeinu, just saved your life. You're not going to start being, you're going to be like, oh yeah, I'm sorry, you know, like I owe you everything, whatever you say, you know, sir, whatever, you know, like you're the, the, the prince, is Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, like even, even before he became the ruler of the Jewish nation, he had a high, you know, power in the, in the Egyptian government, he was the, he, you know, he lived in the palace. But what did Dasan go and respond? Dasan goes and responds, who made you, a, you know, the, a man, a prince, a judge over us? He goes and he starts speaking to him back in the like chutzpahing way. He says, "You want to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday." And what the intent was of now of this of this Dasan was like, "I'm gonna you know basically tell on you onto uh, to Paro," and that's what he did. He went and he told to Paro about the person that saved his life. He ratted out his lifesaver to Paro. You think about it, like a. You know, like, talk about being ungrateful. Like, don't say thank you, but why go and try to get this person killed? Let's take it to the next situation where we speak about Dasan and Aviram. We know that, uh, fast forward, the Jews left Egypt. They're in the desert and they're getting fed by the man. Now, the law was that you're not allowed to keep the man from one day to the next. Well, 
Guess who did? Dasa and Arviram went, and they did not listen to Moshe's warning that you're not supposed to keep money overnight, and they kept it. And what happened was, it became warmy, and it got spoiled. And to make the matters even worse, comes that first Friday, and Moshe Rabbeinu goes, and he tells the Jewish nation, gather a double portion. It's Friday, tomorrow is Shabbos, tomorrow there's not going to be any man that falls down from heaven, so you have to collect today twice as much, so that you'll have for today and for tomorrow. So what happened to Dustin? What did Dustin Avram? Dustin Avram went outside, and they collected the, they collected a lot, and they go out late Friday night, and they spread out extra portions of man on the ground, so that when the Jewish people wake up, they could prove Moshe Rabbeinu wrong, because it's going to be Saturday morning, it's going to be Shabbat morning, and Moshe Rabbeinu went and he said that it's not going to go, and man is not going to fall down on Saturday and Shabbat, and now what happens is, is you're going to see that, oh, look at it, they went and, and they pretended as if it would go and and uh, fall man on, on, on Shabbat. So they were trying to prove Moshe Rabbeinu wrong. But look at the extent that they went to. This is Moshe Rabbeinu. That saved your life. Not only did you go and you tried to have him killed. Not only did you go and you don't listen to him. And now you're going and try to humiliate him in front of like the entire people that he just saved. Like, what's going on over here? And to make matters even worse, let's take it a next step further. Fast forward a little bit more. The Moshe Rabbeinu went and he sent spies out to the uh, to to seek out Eretz Israel to look at the Jewish uh, to the land of Israel to see how it how, you know how it looks for conquering. And uh, we know, unfortunately, it came back negative. There were giants over there. It's very fortified. It's going to be very difficult to go and take over. So the Jewish nation went and they mourned that entire evening. The next morning comes Dustin and Aviram, the two troublemakers. And what happens to us, and they go to the Jewish nation and says, appoint us instead of Moshe and Aaron. We'll take you back to Egypt. We would rather be living as slaves than be dead free men. They're going and they're trying to instigate the entire Jewish nation to go against Moshe Rabbeinu, the person that saved their life, the person that did everything for them. What's going on over here? Let's take it the next step. Korach. Korach went and was upset at Moshe Rabbeinu. Why? Because he wasn't appointed a distinguished position. So he goes over to the tribe of Reuven and he says, Reuven, you're the firstborn tribe. So you should be the Kohanim, you should be the Levim. He says, why is it that Moshe took it from, you know, for, for his tribe? It should be for your tribe, for moving. So they went and they gathered 250, you know, prominent men. And guess who were the 250, of the 250 prominent men? It was none other than Dust and Avim were included in Korach's rebellion. And Moshe Rabbeinu went, Midrash will go and speak about it. And Moshe Rabbeinu went and he spoke to Korach and tried to go and calm him down. But he saw that Moshe, he saw that Moshe couldn't speak anymore to Korach. So you know what Moshe Rabbeinu did? He went over to Dustin and Avir, maybe I could talk to you. And you know what they said? It says, even if you gouge out our eyes, we would not meet with you, Moshe Rabbeinu. It says, it's not enough that, you, this is what they said, that it's not enough that you took us out of Egypt, a prosperous land, to have us die in the desert. You want to have authority of us all They went and they spoke very negatively against Moshe Rabbeinu. This is Dustin and Avira, time and time again. And we all know how it ended. The next day, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, Korach, Dustin, Avira, their families, everybody, their belongings, all, there was a ground opened up, and everybody got sucked in, and everybody got destroyed. That went, went against Moshe Rabbeinu. This is the end of Dustin and Avira. Listen to what Rav Shimon Schwab goes and says. He says, you look at Dustin and Avira, they couldn't be, 
They could not have been entirely bad because you think about it. They survived the plague of darkness. We know in darkness, 80% of the Jewish nation died. The people that weren't worthy of going out of Egypt, they died during that plague. Doesn't Abiram? They survived that. They furthermore, they went and they stood at Har Sinai. They received the Torah. Take it to the next step. They could not have, they didn't even worship the golden calf. They didn't worship the eagle. Because otherwise they would have died then. Meaning that these people were, there was a reason why they survived from the time of the Egyptian slavery all the way until the time of Karl's Rebellion. And Rav Shab goes and says that their sins, their sins centered around one, one area. And the area was the failure to recognize the leadership, the rulership of Moshe Rabbeinu. Now the question is, is that why could they not go and accept and recognize the leadership of Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe Rabbeinu, after all, was the greatest leader. He was the most humble man. Like, when you want looking for a leader, you want a humble guy, right? If you're looking for a president of the United States, if it's a humble guy, of course, you know, it has to be in certain contexts, but if somebody doesn't think of himself like, you know, so high and uptight over there, you respect that person. Moshe Rabbeinu was respected. He was the most humble guy. He shared the pain of the Jewish people. All he cared was about the Jewish people. How many times did he go? And he risked his own life just to save the Jewish people. Like, who would not love Moshe Rabbeinu? Who? Who would not? This is the, the, the greatest prophet. The most humblest person ever. Like, the, like the top of the top. So says Rav Schwab. He says that, that perhaps the reasoning is, is that it's rooted in ingratitude in a kafu type, in the fact that they were ungrateful. We realize when we go back to the first encounter with Moshe Rabbeinu, he saved Dasan. And now Dasan owed Moshe Rabbeinu his life. Now an ingrate, somebody who has, who's, who's ungrateful, they, they, they can't show gratitude. So what happens is, is that they end up turning against their benefactor. That instead of realizing that Moshe Rabbeinu was the greatest, he was caring and concerning for each and every fellow Jew, they looked at him as a meddling prince, as somebody who just wanted to go and butt into places where, even though they see he saved their life. Gratitude can lead a person to the most greatest qualities and character traits of a human being can reach. But at the same point in time, the flip side, ungratefulness, ingratitude, kafli taif, that can bring out the worst in a person. Where you could have somebody who saved your life and you go out to destroy this person. Instead of going and trying to save this other person and protecting this other person, you go and you try to destroy that other person. Look at the scariness and how far it can go. You look at the flip side. A righteous person, a tzaddik. A righteous person shows gratitude even if somebody didn't actually benefit him. Listen to the story. Rabbi Shlomo Eisen. He was, you know, um, was preparing to go. He lived in Yerushalayim. He was preparing to celebrate his, his oldest son, Bar Mitzvah. And he went over to his rabbi, Rabbi Issazam and Meltzer. And he wanted to invite the rabbi for a Shabbos Kiddush in his home that he was making. Now, the rabbi was an older gentleman. He was, you know, he didn't, he didn't want him, he didn't even think that he would come. But out of respect... And he had to invite his rabbi. You know, it's a long walk. It's four flights of steps, you know, in Yerushalayim. And he, you know, like, so out of respect, he personally invited his rabbi, Rabbi Sazan al Come Shabbos, comes the Kiddush. And in the middle of the celebration, 
the door opens up, and who walks in? None other than the great rabbi, Rabbi Susan Meltzer. And the father of the boy was shocked to see him. As soon as he saw his rabbi, his rabbi coming in, he runs in, he gives him something to eat, something to drink, he, he goes and he puts it, sits him down and he goes over to his rabbi, he says, I invited the Rosh Hashiva, I invited the rabbi out of respect and a car stop, out of gratitude and respect, I invited you, I did not expect the Rosh Hashiva to walk so far, walk up four flights of steps, just for, uh, you know, my, my son's bar mitzvah. So the rabbi responded, or this is all men, so responded, says, you know, originally, I wasn't planning on coming, to be honest with you. I wasn't planning on coming, but when you came and you invited me, I started thinking. I started thinking, like, what? He says, Rabbi Shlomo Eisen, I'm ready. His son is, is, you know, his his oldest son is making a bar mitzvah. I just remember dancing by his wedding. He says, it wasn't so long ago that I remember. And I was like, what? Time really flies. And as I was thinking this thought, I was like, wait, time really flies? I was like, wait a minute, you know, what, what do you think about when time really flies? He says, there's only a certain amount of time before you're six feet under. So he, the rabbi goes and he says, I started having a hurray tshuva. I started thinking about tshuva, look how little short life is. And I started doing tshuva. And he says, now, because you invited me to a bar mitzvah, I started thinking I did tshuva, so now I owe you a gratitude. And because of my gratitude to you, I went and I came to your, to your bar mitzvah, to your son's bar mitzvah. Now look at that. Isn't that crazy? This is not even a direct benefit. This was like an indirect benefit. His student came, invited him to something that they both knew originally they weren't going to attend, but because of the invitation, he started thinking, oh, like, oh, life is short. Oh, if life is short, I should do chuva. He started doing chuva. So because of an indirect thing, oh, wait, now I did chuva. Because what? Because my student went and invited me. Oh, wait, I got the top of gratitude. He went and he walked and he climbed to the bar mitzvah. That shows you what the difference of a righteous person and their outlook in life and the gratitude that they have versus a wicked person and the ingratitude that they have. You know, during the War of Independence in 1948, in the Israeli War of Independence, a security officer knocked on the door of the Chazanish. And the Chazanish, at this point in time, he was living at the edge, at the end of Nebrak. And there were reports that the Arab attacks, you know, in that area, and, and it's dangerous to, to, to stay, to sleep, and to, to stay at this point in time, in the edge of Nebrak. So he says, you know, you should move somewhere else to sleep. And the Chazon Ish goes over to his companion, and he says, you know, in truth, there's nothing to fear. He says, you know, like, I don't have to move. But if this officer, he traveled to my house to warn me, and he came for my benefit, I don't want to appear to be an ingrate, so I'm going to move just to be grateful to him. Look at the difference between a righteous person and a wicked person. A righteous person, even if the person didn't you know, give you something directly, even if it was indirectly, they're bending over backwards to try to show you hakarat of gratitude. Where you have a wicked person, even if you go and you save their life, they're going to go against you. And we know there's famous stories where you have rabbis that go and there's, there's somebody that goes against them. And the rabbis start thinking, like, wait a minute, I, says, I don't know why he's going against me. I never did him a favor. Now we can begin to understand that famous, you know, story, that concept, where you have, if, some, if you do someone a favor, sometimes they go against you because they, they don't want to owe you. And look how bad that character trait is. Now we think about it and be like, okay, we would never do that. Yeah, consciously maybe, but subconsciously, do you know? Do you think about it? How many people have affected you and how have you responded in acting with them? 
You know, let's say there was a business deal that went. You know, how many businessmen have a business deal that presented them by a friend, a neighbor, and really, and they closed and they made it, they made some money on it. What's right is to give the person that introduced you or like did something, give them a little cut of the action, give them something. But what they won't admit is be like, no, it's my business dealings, it's my negotiation skills, it's me who got me this, you know, this business deal. And we tend to forget and we cut out some people. I, I know cases personally, and personally meaning that I was involved in, and cases that I heard of where you have business transactions where people go and they cut out the people that help them. Not only do they not go and I guess, I don't know if the right way would be pay or show somehow gratitude, but they cut that out person completely and they go around that other person just to not to try to make, and they convince themselves that they were right. I, I don't want to go into details, but I can give you some very, very detailed you know, scenarios on this. And, and the truth is, it's not only in business. I, you know, I, I can tell you like this, you know, personal cases that I've dealt with in, in the spiritual realm where, uh, you know, it's very interesting. There, there are cases where I've spoken to somebody maybe for 30 minutes and they're forever grateful. Like to the point that I don't even feel I deserve it. Like, I, well, I don't deserve anything, any of the gratitude, but like, especially this one, like they're, they're forever, they're constantly having Hakaratatov gratitude. And I'm like, and it really is, it, it's like, it's such a, like, a breath, it's like a, it's such a breath of fresh air. It's like such a like beautiful thing to see. And meanwhile, I've had people that I know personally. I've helped and I've invested hours, time, money, like who knows what now. And they would never admit that I helped. They would never go and say thank you. And and again, I'm not asking for it. I don't need it. Like it really, like you know, when I, when I answer emails when I'm on the phone, if someone goes and says thank you, it's like always like oh, it's like it's like a surprise to me. Like I'm not. That's not the reason why what I do what I do. Uh, but of course, it's nice you know to hear it, but it's not something that I do. And the reason why it shocks me is a little bit of a shocking thing because it means that people don't do it often. People literally think that if you have a rabbi, you have a community guy, he deals with that, like that's his job. No, it's not his job. No one's paying him to do that. He's doing it out of the kind of his heart. He's going to help you out. Then go and say thank you. Say, you know, like at least say a few words of gratitude. But what happens is that people don't like to owe. People don't like to go and to owe, and it's such a bad character trait. We see over here from Adam. We see over here from Amun Moab. We see over here from Dasan Avir. We see over here from Haman Russia. We see over here so many cases how bad being ungrateful is. And yes, maybe we don't do it to the same extent, but if you stop for a second... And contemplate. Do a little bit of it, but to do, do a little bit of meditation on your life and be like, people that help me, did I show Hakatatov? Did I show gratitude to them? My parents, my spouse, my partner, my employee, my employer, you know, my friend, my neighbor. So many people do so much for us. Do we stop for a second and realize that? You know, the time is getting late and it's going to end on us again. But you know, well, we'll have to continue because there's a, there's a few points that I want to I wanted to bring out. But the idea behind this class is is to think, is to think where are you holding in your life? Are you a grateful person, or are you an ingrateful person? And even if you classify yourself as a grateful person, try to think: were there any cases where maybe I was not as grateful as I should have been? And you're going to start, trust me, you're going to find it.
And once you start looking, you're going to find it. And guess what? At the end, you're going to end up how maybe I wasn't so grateful to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Maybe I wasn't so grateful to God. Look at what has God has given me. Look at what has God has given my family. He says, you know what? And I, I should have been more grateful. And if you contemplate that, you can really come to a different level of gratitude. And B'zat Hashem, you know, in the coming weeks, when we continue on this series, we'll speak about a little bit of how to get out of this ungratefulness, on this ingrate, of this kafoi type, and how to build off this. But for now, we have only three minutes left. We'll open up for some. Uh, we'll open up for some questions, and if not, uh, we'll close it for the for the night. Oh, look at that. Okay, no questions. Okay, amazing. Works out perfect <laughs> because we don't have the time for it, anyways. All right. I thank you all for joining. I um, thank you all for coming back with the 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 Zoom uh, you know issues. While we're speaking about the Zoom issues, if anybody does want to join our Zoom classes, please you can reach out to me um, at rabbizitronatoranytime.com and uh, we can add you. You can join us uh, to, for, for the live classes. There's always a benefit for the live ca- classes. All right. Thank you all for joining. Thank you all for joining twice. And until next time, may you all have an amazing, successful, blessful week. And may HaKadosh Baruch Hu open up our eyes to show us how grateful we really are, and we really should be, and we really could be. You've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.